Welcome to Fashion Your Seatbelt, your first class seat to one-on-one -on -one conversations with the fashion industry's top voices. I'm Jessica Michaud, and I created this podcast to share the joy I have in getting to know all the amazing people who bring this creative, inventive, and extraordinary business to life. You'll get to hear the cadence of their voices, the sound of their laughter, and feel firsthand how passionate they are about what they do. But before we get this show on the road, I want to say a quick thank you to GPS Radar for making this episode possible. GPS Radar is the members-only website where leading fashion brands and media connect. Also, I just want to remind you to leave a review. Stars are really trending right now, and it helps other very stylish listeners like yourself find the show. Now buckle up, and let's get started. Hey listeners, welcome to the latest edition of the Fashion Your Seatbelt podcast. We have got a good one for you today, but before we get into it, I just wanted to take a quick second to thank you for your continued support. All the reviews and the comments have been really wonderful, and I'm super excited to hear what you think of today's interviewee, who I have to say it really impressed me when I met her for the first time. And I promise to repost any photos you take of the podcast that you tag us in on your social media feeds telling us what you like about this interview. Also, when you finish this podcast, I highly suggest that you go back and listen to episode 18 with IKEA's creative lead, Henrik Most, talking about the brand's really cool collaboration with the white-hot fashion designer, Virgil Oboa. But now let's talk about today's guest. Eugenia de la Torrente is the incredibly articulate and fashion savvy editor-in-chief of Vogue Spain. She is one of the most respected fashion voices in Spain. And before she got her current gig at Vogue last year, she was the editor-in-chief of the Spanish edition of Harper's Bazaar, as well as the fashion editor of El Payas and the editor at El Payas Seminal. And Eugenia has also worked as a professor, regularly speaks at leading luxury and fashion conferences, and has published several books on fashion. She arrives at Vogue Spain at a pretty important time in the history of the magazine. This year marks the 30th anniversary of the Spanish edition of the internationally respected publication, and it's also a time when Spanish designers like Palomo Spain and Anna Locking are generating some serious international buzz. In this podcast, she talks about how Vogue Spain is supporting these budding designers, the challenges that they face, and what advice she would give any young brands starting out that is looking to make its name for itself in the saturated fashion market. Her answers are insightful and informative, and the takeaways she offers up in this podcast can be applied to designers around the globe. In the world of fashion editors-in-chiefs, Eugenia is one to watch. Thank you so much for speaking to me today. I really appreciate taking the time. Um, I guess what I want to go into, first of all, is you're the editor-in-chief of uh, Vogue España, and yet you are a journalist at heart. So can you talk a little bit about your background, and especially in this day and age when journalism, everything has to fit into 140 characters, et cetera, <laughs> um, how you're balancing that love of writing and, and, and journalism in this world that we live in today. But go ahead and go crazy. Okay, well, thank you for having me, first of all. Um, yeah, I mean, I started uh, working when I was 19 years old, and I started in a very trendy indie magazine in Barcelona, where I was born. And very quickly, I started publishing in El País, mm -hmm. which is the main Spanish newspaper. And, and I was writing about fashion from the very beginning, and, and I took the position of the fashion editor, and uh, later on I was also taking care of the Sunday magazine. So I was always combining journalism and fashion. That has always been my job. Mm -hmm. And 
Well, then I left El País and, and I moved into magazines, into glossy magazines, monthly ma glossy magazines. But I mean, it, more or less, I keep the same. I mm -hmm. mean, the idea is that you can talk about fashion with the rigor, the deepness, the seriousness in a way that you talk of any other cultural material. And I think it's there is no difference on that. Of course, in Vogue, you have to be also very fabulous, extravagant, creative. Uh, there are, there's a set of elements that are as important as being serious and rigorous and, you know, journalistic. Mm -hmm. But that needs to be also in the, the center. The dream aspect, yeah. In the center of it. I mean, it's a, for me, Vogue is a combination of dreaming and knowing. And I think that those two, thi those two things can really go hand by hand. It's challenging and it makes you think twice about anything that you do, how you can achieve those two goals on the same time. And sometimes you are more on the right, right hand than on the left hand, let's say. But it's, it's a very interesting balance to work on. So you said you started um, journalism almost with fashion right away. Um, I remember the first time I saw a fashion show that really just went, I'm like, okay, the, I understand now what this is all about and why people love fashion so much. And I had that click moment. When was your, what was your first connection with fashion or your kind of, as Oprah would say, your aha moment? <laughs> well, I mean, for a very brief period of time, I nursed the idea that I could be a designer. I maybe was... 13, something like this. I was a teenager. So I started sketching and trying to sew a little bit. Uh, I had never been trained or, you know, I didn't know how to, you know, sew a button. So it was pretty challenging and I very quickly realized that it was not my thing. <laughs> I did a couple of dresses, actually, for some of my friends and I think I had the courage to tell me, myself that I was not born to be a designer, even <laughs> if I really enjoyed uh, everything around fashion. So also from a very early age, I was writing. Mm -hmm. I was writing at school, I was writing poetry, um, I was you know, writing small pieces of um, fiction when I was also a teenager. So it was a very easy link to connect the dots and, and to mix my two passions, which were writing and fashion. And I clearly understood that I had more future writing about fashion than designing fashion. So. Okay. Well, I mean, it, it is an art in of itself to be able to describe fashion, um, especially before the, the age of Instagram. Um, I'm curious, as somebody who's grown up in the and seen um, the Spanish fashion develop, especially recently with, you know, um, Paloma Spain, which I, I came, uh, not this season, but the season before, to um, Spanish Fashion Week, uh, Spain Fashion Week, and was so impressed um, by the quality of the designers that are in Spain. And I'm wondering um, how, how you feel they are, where they are in the, in the grand scheme of, of fashion, um, especially with this, you know, bubbling up of Palomo. Well, I mean, there's, we are living a very interesting moment for Spanish fashion. There's a new generation of designers that are really embracing the global aspect, the idea of getting out of the country, to being open about 
finding new markets, finding new targets. Of course, the technological development and internet helps that a lot because for a long period of time, you know, Spanish designers were more or less confined to Spain and not anymore. There are no frontiers. And I think that this new generation really understands that. Mm -hmm. I also think that it's an interesting creative moment because also right now we are living in a moment where there's a new generation of consumers that it's very daring in the way they dress, in the way they present themselves. So the combination of both things, of a very open and interesting new audience and a very open and interesting new generation of designers has created a very, very important and I think the powerful moment for Spanish fashion. I think that we have to see how we are able to actually explain that to the whole world because traditionally the problem has been that, has been that we have not been really been able to make the world pay attention to what is happening in fashion in Spain, mm -hmm. even if they are consuming Spanish fashion because we do have very powerful textile companies such as Inditex or Mango that actually are dressing the world mm -hmm. from Spain. Yes. So I think that always the challenge is how we are going to be able to mix those things, this kind of a little bit more anonymous industry and the talent that we have and that now we really have in a very powerful way in order to explain the world what is happening. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's for Spain, the fashion industry, it's really important. It's more than 8% of the exports of the country. Really? I did not know that. Okay. So it's, it's, it's very, very important because we do have very powerful companies, as mm -hmm. we are mentioning yes, these two, and there are many more. It's Cortefiel, I mean, we do, Justo, Desigual, I mean, we do have very powerful brands. But we need to find a way to make our fashion weeks, our fashion industry relevant for mm -hmm. the rest of the world. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh, well, I'm, I, I have to say I was incredibly impressed um, by the front rows that I was the, the young people who clearly had like put together their looks for the fashion week. Like there was a level of intent about how they looked at the, the shows that I hadn't seen since like London. There was a real, there was a real engagement to the fashion that you don't see um, and a young passion that I haven't seen in other fashion weeks that I really appreciated when I was in Spain for Spanish Fashion Week? That's the key for me because it has never happened before. Hmm. We have never seen that kind of excitement about fashion shows in Spain mm -hmm. because, well, I mean, it would be very long to explain, but the audience in the, in the Spanish fashion shows, it's pretty different to the audience that you will find in Paris or Milan or London because it's, let's say, less professionally oriented than in those cities. And... For, I mean, the first time in, in, in several years, I would say that maybe since the late 80s, we, we really experience an excitement about what is this designer, what is going to present, which is going to be the new idea of this other brand. And that's the first thing that you need to actually create a healthy fashion industry. Excitement, mm -hmm. desire, mm -hmm. and right now we do have mm -hmm. that sparkle, and we need to build a fire from that. How, I mean, 
within the pages, within magazine culture, there's a you know, there's a bit of a kowtowing to advertising and all of that. How within um, Spanish Vogue do you balance, you know, global and local, so that you have that mix of what what could probably touch your your public, but also giving them that larger perspective on the world. I think that's exactly the key. I mean, this year we are celebrating the 30th anniversary of Vogue in Spain. And um, going back to the archives for the anniversary and the celebration issue and everything, what I have found is that consistently during these 30 years, Vogue has been on one side a window for the Spanish talent to be presented in the international world and also a window for everything that happens on the international market to arrive to the Spanish consumer. So it goes both ways. And this balance is also the most complicated part to, to achieve when you are editing the magazine, how you make it interesting from a global perspective without losing the local touch and how you manage to present local talents in a way that it's also appealing for a global market. Is there an argument to be made? First of all, congratulations on 30 years. That's fantastic. Um, is there a, um, a point to be made that there that the bursting onto the scene of Paloma, Spain um, really was a turning point. Do you see that as a turning point, or is it just the latest in a series of you know big names coming out from Spain? That I mean, I think that Palomo is maybe the most known name outside of Spain of all these new wave of designers. But I really see Palomo uh, inside this broader uh, context of what's happening in Spanish fashion. Mm -hmm. I don't think he is such an isolated case, uh, yeah. case, but really like the embodiment of something that it's happening. And that I think that it, we all need, we all do have the responsibility to create something from that and to manage for this new generation, which is Palomo, but it's also um, a bunch of other names that are now doing things that are interesting and that can be really internationally relevant, such mm -hmm. as Maria K. Fisherman, Moises Nieto, Juan Vidal, many other names, and also the ones that came before them, mm -hmm. because I think that this is all built on a, on a long tradition of, of very interesting Spanish fashion and very good Spanish designers that unfortunately have not had you know, the opportunity to be known outside of Spain. There's also a very successful case right now happening, which is Del Pozo, mm -hmm. which is uh, a brand that, I mean, it was founded by Jesus Del Pozo mm -hmm. in the 70s, and it's now commanded by Josep Font, who was a designer that actually was starting in 88 when Book Spain was launched. So it re it's really, we would say, like a much more old brand and a much more, a brand much, which a much longer legacy and it's also having an important moment mm -hmm. and I think that those successful cases need to be the basis for the whole industry to make a step further and, and to be more known. Mm -hmm. um, I have another question for you. I hear um, 
I want to actually just, I want to ask you this straight up. What is your thinking or thought about the impact or the importance of influencers in getting the word out about Spanish designers about or in their relationship with brands and to get gain awareness for the brands? I mean, do you think that um, the arrival of the influencer is a, a great thing for brands or do you think that that's a detriment to you and I and our journalistic integrity? Or I mean, where do, where do you find them falling into all of this? I, you may remember, but this conversation actually now is into influencers, but maybe 10 years ago it was in bloggers. Of course. So at the end of the day, I think that um, we are changing the ways to communicate. We are changing the platforms. I mean, there's a, a, a very important transformation on the media and the way we consume information. And this means that all the voices and all the actors are going to be changing and it's inevitable and there are going to be appearing new I would say actors on that for all the time and it's just an adaptation it's like an evolution of the way that we talk and we speak I really don't like this kind of way of talking about confronting, uh, confronting whatever, you know, old media, new media, uh, people, like journalists. I mean, I, I've always said that at the end of the day, we are all telling stories. Mm -hmm. And that's the key here. And the only important thing is that we do tell stories in a way that it's honest, that it's authentic, that it's appropriate, that it's helpful for creating a community. And that's the end point of everything. So the confrontation kind of way of speaking about it, really, I don't think it has any point, you know. I think that we just have to understand that it's a very evolving um Ever-changing. Ever-changing. And it's going to be changing from now on. It's not going to stop. I mean, nothing is going to go back into the old ways of the, I don't know, 80s. And I, I always say something, that I think that the only constant that we are not gonna, now going to face, it's change. We're going to be changing and changing and changing. We are not going to arrive to the point where things are going to be I, you know, stable mm -hmm. in any way. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's change is going to be our only yeah, status quo <laughs> is demo day. Only, yeah. you know, um, stabilization. You yeah. know? And, and I think that's the beauty of it also, that we live in a time that it's much more innovative and that it's it, it, it's never I mean, when I started working in journalism one of the things that I hated the most was that when people would tell you know you know this doesn't work it's always been done like this mm -hmm. and it would have said you like well maybe you can try to do it in a, in a different way well now we live in a time where nobody can say it has always been done like this or it can't be done like this and I think this is a good thing because it, it's open to much more possibilities to much more adventures to much more creativity and Let's see what happens, and let's enjoy what happens. Enjoy the ride, for yes. sure. Now it's time for my five generic fashion questions, mm -hmm. and that'll wrap it up for us. Okay. What is your own personal favorite, most beloved piece of clothing that you own, or object that you own? It has to be clothing, or it can Jewelry be... Jewelry or accessories, something fashion. Well, it's jewelry, definitely, and, well, I have 
several very important pieces, but most of uh, them, it's the um, it's the ones that my husband um, gives me as a present for each one of my birthdays. Some of them, I'm carrying them now. I use them almost every day, and they are always antique jewelry. It's, he knows I love them. I appreciate them very much. Oh, good husband. <laughs> good taste in jewels, at least. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm not sure about women, but in jewels, yes. <laughs> oh, stop. Um, okay, so then, what would you advise women if they, you know, only had a certain budget? What is that one piece of clothing that they should really invest in? What is that one kind of that's the one you want to spend the most money on? Well, I mean, I don't know how many little black dresses I own, and I would say that it's like the one thing to have because it's really timeless. Um, I have many of them because I've been, you know, buying them for a long period of time, and I'm always re-wearing them, and I can navigate with one of those dresses from early morning to uh, very late at night going to a party maybe changing something or even not changing you know the accessories I definitely would say that a little black dress so yeah the, the LBD yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's the thing to have on on the closet okay so um trick question what designer who is your favorite designer living or dead well, that's an easy one. Ah. Balenciaga. Balenciaga. Of course. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think he is the master of the rest of them. I think he was so innovative and so original. And he did things in his very own way. He was very respectful of the women that he dressed. He really was thinking about their needs space and I mean I think his legacy remains untouched and unrivaled. I would say that for me only what is considered his master which is Madeleine Vionnet can go a little bit uh, close to him but also being Spanish and also being so connected with the history of Spain because I mean, before he arrived to Paris, he had had a full career in Spain. I mean, he was in his 40s, so he was really a grown man, and he had a lot of history in Spain. And he, not only that, but he was always going back to Spanish history, traditional dresses, and so he was a very good ambassador of the Spanish culture. Mm-hmm. Great answer. Um, so two more questions. What trend will you never follow? I mean, I would say I'm not a very trendy person. (laughs) I'm I'm pretty loyal to my ideas and designers. So most of the time I'm wearing the same. I'm not a person that would be changing a lot from season to season. Mm So in this case, I mean, there's a lot of trends that I never wear. Mm-hmm. I think that it's, I would never say never, you mm-hmm. know, it's, it's, not a, it's not a denying the possibility, but the reality is that I really stick to my own ideas and, and I very rarely change them. Ah, you and me both. <laughs> <laughs> Last question, what do you love most about fashion? I love the fact that it's a language that we all use. 
even if we are not aware of it. I'm always saying that it's a language where silence does not exist. Even if you are naked, let's say, that would send like a very eloquent message to everyone <laughs> around you. And I really like this. I think that you can use it in a way that it's very creative and very expressive. It can also be very emotional. It can tell people around you how you're feeling. And a lot of people, you know, really express themselves daily with what they are wearing. And I think this is a very powerful tool in a world that it's so complicated. And to have the possibility to tell a story with your own clothes to yourself, to the rest of the people that it's, you know, that will cross with you in the middle of the street or that will spend time with you. Mm -hmm. I think that's a, something very beautiful and, and really deep. It has been such a pleasure getting to know you. Thank you so much for taking the time. No, really. thanks to you. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> Anytime. Don't want to miss an episode of Fashion Your Seatbelt? No problem. Just go to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and click on the subscribe button. Then every new episode will drop into your feed automatically. No fuss, no muss. Fashion Your Seatbelt is made possible thanks to the wonderful people at Launchmetrics, the software company that is powering the fashion industry and GPS Radar, the members-only website where leading fashion brands and media connect in style. I am a member of GPS Radar, and I can tell you, as a journalist, it has made my work life run much more smoothly. Believe me, I know. I'm Jessica Michaud.